welcome to Teach the Word. Today we're going to talk about um, more about spiritual gifts, but particularly focus on this topic of um, how some gifts within Christianity have have been understood to have ceased, um, and why, um, or why not? Why, why maybe that's a bad understanding? So basically, that's that's the idea. Let's try to poke around at that topic. Um, let's start by praying. Heavenly Father, we want to come to your word in a way that honors you, um, really honors your word, to be truthful to ourselves, um, to your word, and just um, faithful to who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So <clears throat> this, by the way, is ultimately works out itself out to be a question about authority. Um, that's why this topic um, exists, this idea of cessationism, certain gifts having gone away. And I think in order to understand it, it might be better to try to paint in broad strokes a general view of Christianity um, and its history. Uh, so this is very general um, and, and perhaps maybe misleading, but it may be helpful to mislead just to get the narrow, you know, just to not be too confusing. So, broad thing, there's really three streams of Christianity, very broadly speaking. Again, it's not, not really true, but, and we would call those Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant. Why are there three? Well, it's really a historical development. Obviously, Christianity was one thing at one time. And um, what, what happened early on was Christianity spread outside of the Roman Empire, um, and then it was also inside the Roman Empire. And outside of the Roman Empire, it did develop slightly differently. But within the Roman Empire, what happened uh, in the, I think it's like 1054 is the date, there was a, a disagreement between the Bishop of Rome and the Patriarch of Constantinople about authority. And that was a, that was a split in the church, which split the, the church within the Roman Empire, or what had been the Roman Empire, the church within the West in two. And be, be, we have the Eastern Church and the Western Church. And the Western Church became Catholic, what we know today as Roman Catholic. And the Eastern Church became Orthodox, or it became Orthodox. It just was what it was. It became known as these things, Catholic and Orthodox. Um, and, and then all the churches that were outside of the Roman Empire are also referred to as Orthodox. So you'll have like uh, many Orthodox churches, not just the one that was centered in Constantinople with the Patriarch of Constantinople. That, that, the epicenter of that church later shifted to Moscow because Constantinople became a Muslim city. Uh, became part of the the, uh, the Turk the Empire of the Turks. I think at first it may have been the Seljuk Turks, but eventually it was the Ottoman Turks. So the Ottoman Empire. But uh, so you have you have Russian Orthodox, you have Greek Orthodox, you got Coptic Orthodox in Egypt, Syrian Orthodox. You have a Syrian Orthodox in like uh, Iran today. Um, you had Abyssinian Orthodox, which is Ethiopian Church. So these are all referred to as Orthodox, but they're not. And they're, they're different from Catholicism and, and around authority, and they're similar to each other in their approach to, to authority. Um, and then you have these Protestants. The Protestants 
ultimately were, were reactionary. You know, they're protesting against the Romans, the Roman church. So I'm a Protestant, by the way. You probably can tell from looking at me that I'm white, Anglo-Saxon, male. But um, authority is what we're trying to talk about in understanding the scriptures and understanding the spiritual gifts. And it's just important to have a broad sense of, of those differences. So Catholicism and Protestantism kind of separated in Europe, basically along north-south lines uh, geographically in the 1500s, starting in the 1500s with a guy named Martin Luther, 1517. He, he originally published his 95 points as to what he thought was wrong with what the Catholic Church was doing in a practice of selling indulgences. And that's kind of the start. Uh, basically, it came down to authority. So the Protestants were arguing that the way the Catholic Church was construing authority was wrong. And they were saying that the Pope is not infallible. He, he can't, he's not a source of authority. And they had arguments for it. Things like, you know, if one Pope says one thing and then later on another Pope changes it, how was the first Pope correct? Um, stuff like that. Um, the Catholics were maintaining that, no, the Pope, in this, in the, they have a doctrine. It's called apostolic succession. So let's, let's look at that. Um, comes out of Jesus' interaction with Peter and uh, Matthew. 16. So let's go to Matthew 16. Uh, Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. Verse 13, chapter 16 of Matthew. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. So you see, he's taking... Uh, one of his disciples, his name is Simon, and he's he's adding it, he's changing his name to to Rock Peter, or Cephas in uh, Aramaic. And he's saying, "You're the rock, and on on this rock, which is understood as Peter, I'm going to build the church." This is similar to how Paul understands the foundation of the church. If you look at in Ephesians chapter two, we'll look there because. It'll be helpful. That's Galatians. Ephesians 2. We have um, verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God, 
having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple of the Lord, in whom also are the building, you also who you also are being built together. So you get the idea how Jesus says to Peter, you're, you are rock. He says, Simon, you are rock, Peter, and on this rock I will build the church. And Paul says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles, like Peter, and prophets, apostles and prophets. But, um, so the Catholic Church has, has this doctrine called apostolic succession, and it comes from the fact that Peter is, Jesus says to Peter, you're the rock, I'm going to build the church. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles. And that, in, in all traditions of Christianity, the apostles are understood to have had authority at the founding of the church through which to um, decide disputes, um, just basically to determine what was true and to write scripture. They wrote the New Testament. All, the bulk of it was written by the apostles. Well, the Catholic Church has a doctrine whereby the Pope in Rome is a, and the priesthood, really, of all of the Catholic churches is directly um, descended from the apostles. So it's called apostolic succession, and it's based on the idea that Peter was the first bishop of Rome. Um, we don't really know that. We just know that Peter wrote his letters. I mean, that's a tradition, right? Uh, he, he wrote his letters, however, the letters of First and Second Peter. Why don't we look at those letters? And, and he signed them from Babylon. Uh, where are we? Peter. So we can see what we're talking about. So if you look... Um, so let's just look at the end of one of the Peter's letters. For like First Peter, verse chapter five, verse thirteen. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, as does Mark, my son. And, and he's talking about greetings. He talked about Silvanus, John Mark, but he says, "She who is in Babylon." He's talking about where he is, the the church in Babylon. Now that's understood to be Rome. Uh, why? He says, Babylon, why would we interpret that as Rome? Is that just the Catholic Church trying to establish authority for themselves? Um, no, he's writing to the Roman em people within the Roman Empire. It sounds like he's within the Roman Empire. And Babylon is is used to refer to Rome, uh, like in the book of Revelation, the world system. And Rome is understood as a major city in the world system. So it's understood poetically. So is, could it be wrong? Could Peter have really been in Babylon? Perhaps. Tradition is indicating the opposite. But anyways, that's the doctrine of apostolic succession. So the, the Roman church believes that the pope in Rome today, the bishop of Rome, who is the pope, is, is a, an apostle in the line of the, of the first century apostles, Peter. He's, he's directly descended in a direct line of descent. He was appointed by the, those before him who were appointed by those before him who, who are the successors of Peter. The, bishop, the first bishop of Rome. That's the doctrine built off of what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, even how Paul talks about the church in Ephesians 2, and the fact that Peter was in Babylon, which is understood to be Rome. Um, so you see how, how this is important because the Roman Catholic Church says that what is authoritative, yes, the word of God is authoritative, but the bishop in Rome, what the, anything the Pope says is on the same level as Scripture authoritative. And also whatever the church has decided in council is authoritative. That's kind of the position of the Roman Catholic Church. It puts a man at the top 
in a position like the apostles in the first century, supposedly in the position of Peter. Obviously, Protestants were protesting this. That's part of the Protestant Reformation. And one of their major issues was, where's the line? You know, they wanted names. So it was a claim that the bishop in Rome was descended from Peter, but they wanted a list of names. Of course, a list of names can never be established because we don't have records. We know, we know early, like in the 500s, that there was a, there was a bishop in Rome who was considered authoritative to, in a larger region than just his church. But beyond that, earlier than that, we have, we have no, there's no data. So obviously the Protestants didn't like that. Uh, that was one thing they didn't like. They also were just against the idea of a man having that much power. And so they came up with a, a, a their own doctrine. Rather than apostolic succession, they call it sola scriptura, which is that by scriptures alone is authority. Um, and that's a kind of a key tenet of Protestantism. What about these Orthodox? You know, I mentioned three streams, Catholic, Protestant, and Orthodox. Well, the Orthodox uh, don't go either route. They don't really, um, never really got into the Protestants' sola scriptura thing. Uh, in fact, most Orthodox or Catholics, if you were to talk to them, would try to, would basically point out that so the doctrine of sola scriptura is, is inherently self-contradictory because who decides what the scripture means? So you have a layer of interpretation on top of it, right? So, okay, great, sola scriptura, but then who gets to decide the meaning? Who gets to interpret? And, of course, that whatever Protestant church you're in is the one who, who, who has a tradition for interpreting it, right? So there's different traditions for interpreting it. Um, but the, the Orthodox say the authority isn't in the scriptures, it's in the church. So they place the authority not in a man, like the Roman Catholic Church, not in the person of the Pope in apostolic succession, not in the scripture, sola scriptura, but in the tradition of the church. Um, and, and they would argue that that's actually what Protestants do too, because they have a tradition for interpreting scripture. Um, Protestants would counter-argue saying, no, it's it's Scripture alone. If you can show me from Scripture that what I, my interpretation is wrong, then I'm going to change my interpretation, you know, I'm going to change my understanding. But, so that's, that's kind of like three different ways, really, that the, the Christian Church has gone, major sections of it, in, in their understanding of authority. Now, why am I rambling on about authority? I've gone for 15 minutes about how different churches understand authority. The Orthodox churches base it in the tradition of the church. The church itself is the authority source. The the way the church has done things, the way the church has understood and interpreted, that is the source of authority, the tradition of the past moving forward. Protestants say doctrine of sola scriptura. Catholics, of course, say the tradition of the church. They say the scriptures, but the Pope, the apostolic succession. All right, how on earth does this, does this, Ways of understanding authority, how does that relate to our topic, which is spiritual gifts and why some gifts may have ceased? Well, this is this is basically why it relates. It relates because the gifts in question are gifts like apostle, prophet, um, you know, workers of miracles, gifts of healing, see, signs and wonders that would be performed to authenticate preaching, right? These are gifts... We, we all under, agree, everyone agrees that the apostles in the first century had an authority, an authority to write scripture, to decide difficult cases. They're the ones who people came to from Antioch to decide a question about circumcision. They went to the apostles to get the answer. Um, Catholics would understand it as you would go to the bishop in Rome, because he's the direct descendant. 
Well, within Protestantism, where you have a strong doctrine of sola scriptura, you would you the debate arises: would would the practice of gifts like apostles, prophets, or you know, gifts of healings or the working of miracles, you know, those are things that uh, could validate authority, right? Would those challenge the doctrine of sola scriptura? So, where that's that's where this question comes up. It's all about authority. It's about where where does authority lie? And if if there's a human in the church today who's able to take on the title apostle or prophet or of miracles and are what is it working of miracles and gifts of healing are practiced, is that going to authenticate a message? Someone going to be able to claim authority because they perform miracles that puts them on par with scripture. That's that's the crooks of the issue. So now let me try to present the two sides as far as um, I understand them within uh, Protestant circles today. So we'll start with um, the side where certain things have, like apostles, prophets, working of miracles have have ceased, and why? Why, scripturally speaking, would we would we have a position such as that? So. Let's look first in uh, Corinthians, because Corinthians gives us a a fact that things will cease and stop being um, at some point. So whatever position or school of thought you are under, you ought to acknowledge that. And that is um, verse 8 of chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. Love never fails. This is Paul talking about the primacy of love. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I see in part, but then I shall, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. I don't know, I'm tripping over my words, but you see very clearly in this passage that there's a time when that which is perfect has come, that that which is in part, which isn't love, prophecy, tongues, these other things, will be done away with. So, there's a time when these things will cease. That's established by the Apostle Paul. He talks about it. So then the question comes up, well, when is that time? Has that time already passed? Um, if it has, then these things, like prophecy and tongues, sh should not be in operation. Right? Today. Uh, Ephesians. Let's go to Ephesians 2. We were there, but this is another passage similar to Jesus in Matthew 16. You are Peter. On this rock I will build my church. <clears throat> Ephesians 2.19. Now therefore, you, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone 
in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So here you have Paul talking about how the church was founded on Jesus is the cornerstone, right? That's the, the, the most important stone. And then the apostles and the prophets are the foundation, and then the church is being built on that. So the idea here is that when the church was founded in the first century, you needed the apostles, basically, to give us the scriptures, right? And, and, and the authority source that they left, which is the scriptures. And once the church was founded, the foundation was laid, just like Christ, the chief cornerstone, was only here for three years doing ministry, well, the apostles were only here for a period of time doing ministry, and now there are no more apostles, is the idea, or prophets, apostles and prophets. Um, so that's that's a similar, so they founded it, they, they left us what we needed, which is scriptures, so that's the doctrine of sola scriptura. Of course, Catholic perspective would be they left us what we needed, which is apostolic succession, so the bishop in Rome is basically the apostle today, Christ, the vicar of Christ, Christ's representative on earth, able to speak for Christ. <clears throat> So you see that that that's a compelling case. I would I would think you would think that. I think that. Um, there's more though. Uh, what more is there? Well, if you look in uh, Peter. Uh, you'll see at the uh, got to get to Peter. <clears throat> you have little passage is like um, just little reminders that uh, <clears throat> about uh. Verse two, uh, verse chapter two, verse one, Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter two, verse one. But there were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. So, this is Peter talking about the future of the church, us today. He said, he's saying, just like there was false prophets. Among the people in the wilderness, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel. What he doesn't say, this is an interesting passage, he doesn't say there will be, just like there was false prophets among them, there will be false prophets among you. He actually says, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. So the interesting thing about this passage is, <coughs> it's as if he's equating prophets and teachers. He's saying, there used to be false prophets, now there's false teachers. In other words, it's a, it's a hint that people take, a clue that people take away the idea that prophets are, are not really around, and what we have is teachers. Um, another place to look is Jude. Um, <clears throat> sorry about all the background noise, you know. Sometimes you just can't control your environment. Especially when you have little kids. Um, so Jude is all about contending for the faith in the face of people who are teaching perverse things and doing perverse things. So 
if you look at verse 3, but I was very diligent to write to you. Jude only has verses. I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. He wants them to contend for it. Because there's these people that are that are speaking against it. Uh, and he talks about them as dreamers in verse 8. These dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. So they're, they're rejecting authority. Um, the authority of the apostles actually and he's he's and they're they're basing their authority on their on whatever they're coming up with and it calls them dreamers we don't know if that means actual dreams or not but if you look further on he's telling them to remember the words of the apostles he says but you beloved remember the words that were spoken before by the apostles of our lord jesus christ how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time um, he's appealing to the authority of the apostles, but the way he's doing it is as a, as a past event. He's saying, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not saying, guys, think about what the apostles are saying. Don't listen to these guys, listen to the apostles. As if the apostles are are a past thing. The words which were spoken by the apostles, and there, there aren't apostles now speaking words. Um, now, of course... These are, you can see probably quite clearly how you could argue opposite uh, points from these passages. Um, like you could say, well, it's just referencing what the apostles said at a point in time in the past, but they're not necessarily saying right now. They talked, they warned you back then about these guys you're meeting now, but that doesn't mean what's well, a leap. Is it not a leap to infer that the apostles are gone from that? So, you know, you could, you could easily argue any either way from a passage and, and you should realize that that's that's basically the criticism of the eastern orthodox church of of protestantism they would say that uh protestants say that it's sola scriptura but it's really how you interpret scripture your tradition which is what we we're all about as as orthodox we're about the tradition of the church and, and interpreting things and understanding things and, and that's our source of authority and that's actually your source of authority protestants but you don't acknowledge it it's kind of their critique um, so that in a sense is the cessationist case. The cessationist case is that certain things have ceased and they've ceased basically because it's about authority. We, we, uh, the apostles were here to, they did perform, they preached the gospel, they evangelized, they performed miracles to authenticate their message. Um, they wrote scripture, they decided disputes, they were the source of authority and they're gone. And they left a source of authority for us, the scriptures, rather than, than appointing successors, which is the Catholic position. Um, and, and so, like, that's why Jude could say, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's the authority to refer back to. Um, so, what, what do we make then of a, how, how do we then get a, uh, a non-cessationist viewpoint in, within Protestantism, because we have that. We have uh, churches, many churches, that have a non-cessationist viewpoint. Well, that comes from the fact that uh, these gifts of the Spirit, which are the controversial ones that would 
need to be ceased. Like no! tongues is one of them. Mo mostly because it's so probably because it's so weird and people don't really want that around today because they don't want it to be weird. They want to be accepted by the society. Um, prophecy, of course, is one because it it's giving words. Tongues is it's more than weirdness. T tongues together with interpretation is the equivalent of prophecy. If you speak out in a tongue and then someone else speaks out an interpretation, that's a word from the Lord equivalent to someone speaking out a prophecy, right? That's a that could be a source of authority. So tongues, prophecy, apostles, because apostle was a position, an office of authority. Um, miracles are, are important here because workings of miracles, gifts of healing, because they are ways that messages would be authenticated. So you could preach whatever you wanted to preach, perform a miracle and say, you know, look, God's speaking through me. Um, those are the those are really I'd say those are the the five. Is that five? Yeah. Apostles, prophets, tongues, because it's very like much like prophecy. The miracles and, and healings. Um, maybe word of knowledge or word of wisdom, depending how that gift is understood. If, you, if it's a circle or a group that interprets that gift as being, you know, knowledge supernaturally coming to your mind, like clairvoyance or something, um, then that would fall under these categories of things that people would want to have had ceased because so that authority rests where it is with in scripture and not in somebody operating these gifts today. So, so let's look at the non-cessationist viewpoint because the non-cessationists are also Protestants who, who embrace a doctrine of sola scriptura, right? They, they want a uh, scripture has is, is the source of authority we can't add to it, can't take away from it, and it's our rule for life and practice. Um, that's a Protestant. That's a Protestant doctrine of sola scriptura. So how how you? I think it's clear, hopefully, from what I've explained, how you maintain a doctrine of sola scriptura with cessation. If you have the gifts of ceasing, how you would build that doctrine from Scripture, and how the doctrine of sola scriptura would be protected uh, by those things not being around today. So now we're going to try to show how you would build a doctrine where those things don't cease, and yet the, the do, uh, sola scriptura, that doctrine would be upheld and protected, right? So mainly, I think uh, the the linchpin here would be that uh, the the apostles, the first century apostles, were just different than other believers, and and everybody acknowledged that even in the first century. So there's a lot of like tongues, for example, we have in instances um, of hundreds of people speaking in tongues, right? We have um, the uh, 120 in the upper room. We have all the people that were in Cornelius's house. That we so if, let's just look. I mean, if you go, let me get my list out here. So if uh, so, you have you have. Uh, where am I here? Um, yeah, so Acts 2 is 120 speaking. Acts 10 is Cornelius is, has a whole bunch of people assembled in his house and they all speak in tongues. Acts 19, there's 12 people in Ephesus that all start speaking in tongues. Um, then you, you have, you know, lots of believers like... Um, 
in uh, the believers at Corinth. Um, you have believers mentioned in Mark 16 in the in the, uh, the com Great Commission passage at the end of Mark of people who will speak in tongues. Um, so many people, well, way more than a, a group of authoritative apostles, right? Because there was 120 in the upper room. Only 12 of them were, or 11 at that point were, well, 12 because they appointed a successor, were apostles, right? But yet they all spoke in tongues. Uh, so the non-cessationist kind of argument would sort of start here and, uh, and say something like this. Nobody was confused here about who was an apostle and who wasn't with from the gift of tongues. Everybody knew that the apostles, who were the 12, had the authority, and these these other 108 people didn't have the same kind of authority. Yet they all operated in spiritual gifts. Nobody went to, you know, X person over here for authority just because they were speaking in tongues. They went to the apostles because they knew they were apostles. You know, a similar case with... Uh, could be made like with uh, prophets, for for example. Um, you have uh, a lot of uh, prophets. Um, mentioned dozens of prophets. Um, I'm going to try to just find my list because I'm struggling with that. And I just want to grab my list. So... So that we have it. Alright, here's my list. Sorry. So, you have... Uh, in Acts. So let's just go through Acts real quick. So, Acts 11. You have a... So just to show that there's dozens of people operating in a gift like this. See, I'm not that organized. Surprise. <clears throat> the truth comes out. I'm not that organized. All right, 11. So if you go to um, Acts 11 and you look at verses 20 towards the end. And in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So there's um, a group of prophets at Jerusalem. We don't know the number, but plural. One of them's name is given here. One of them named Agabus stood up, and he showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a famine throughout the world. All right, so flip forward to 13. Now the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Uh, and then it goes on to list five names. Bar Barabbas, Simon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up in Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So, I don't know if all five are prophets. Some of them were teachers, but or if there's others that aren't named. But you have a group. You have plural, prophets in Jerusalem. Plural, prophets in Antioch. Um, where else? Um... This is a poorly organized list, unfortunately. Um, Acts 15. 
Uh, where are we in Acts 15? Verse 32. It mentions two men as prophets, Judas and Silas. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets, also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. So those could be some of the prophets mentioned in 11 who were from Jerusalem, because Judas and Silas are from Jerusalem. Uh, Acts 19, verse 6. And Paul, when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they all spoke with tongues and prophesied. Those are the 12 men at Ephesus that I mentioned who speak in tongues. Well, they also prophesied. So there you got a dozen people prophesying. Um, if you go on to Acts 21, you've got four women. 21, uh, 8 and 9. On the next day, we who were with where Paul's companions departed, we came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So you got four prof people prophesying. Um, where else are we? Um, then you have uh, in the Corinthian church, if you look in 1 Corinthians, you have people prophesying. Um, like in 1 Corinthians 11, you have women prophesying. Uh, where was it? Uh, see the references, 11, 4 through 5. Every man praying, men and women, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Then you have people, prophets, talked about later in Corinth, in the church, in, in chapter 14. Um, you have Jesus uh, talking about the resurrection um, and how people will, uh, in Matthew 7, the sheep and the goats kind of passage. Let's just look at that. At the judgment seat. The end of the age. And these are believers at the end of the age, presumably from throughout the age. And uh, they say to Jesus something along the lines of, where am I? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is not the goats and the sheep. This is just Jesus saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So this is a lot of people who think they're believers, think they're prophesying in the Lord's name, and aren't at the resurrection. There's a woman mentioned in, in Revelation who calls herself a prophet, who God does, Jesus, his evaluation of her is that she isn't a prophet. She's a false prophet. Um, but I hope you can see that there's uh, uh, dozens of trying to make show of prophets or people prophesying in the New Testament, examples of it, right, documented. Um, but what I was trying to show with that is showing how that doesn't create any kind of confusion. Because if you look in Acts 15, um, if, if prophets or uh, the gifts of prophets see today or tongues were a problem or workings of miracles, uh, for, for authority, and if people were going to get confused because somebody's prophesying 
and somebody's speaking in tongues, people are going to get confused about them being authoritative instead of the Bible. Well, then that same problem ought to have existed in the first century because there was many, many people, hundreds speaking in tongues, which we just read about and, and dozens prophesying who weren't apostles. Some of them may have been. Some of them were apostles speaking in tongues, but they all weren't apostles. And so people should have been confused and thought they were authoritative as well as the apostles. If, if they're a problem for authority is the argument I'm trying to make here. Just like people would be confused today about the Bible and them being authoritative. But the interesting thing is nobody was confused about the, the, the uh, prophets speaking in tongue, uh, the tongue talkers. Nobody went to them for authority to solve issues uh, in the early church. Look at this. And first, uh, um, Acts 15 verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. They caused great joy. So what happens here? There's a doctrinal dispute in a church, right? And a church that has prophets. We read in... 13 there, there's prophets at Antioch and and they listed them Paul was one of them Paul and Barnabas in the list and here they are Paul and Barnabas arguing with these teachers about the teaching but they're not appealing to their gift of prophecy as authority what what do they end up appealing to as authority they end up appealing to the apostles in Jerusalem apostles and elders in Jerusalem and they go to Jerusalem to the apostles to decide the question. They don't appeal to prophecy, the gift of prophecy or tongues, or or any any of these spiritual gifts that are at operation in their church. They appeal for authority to the apostles. This is exactly how a non-cessationist position would understand spiritual gifts today. We do the spiritual gifts are operative just like they were then, but nobody appeals to them for authority. They appeal to sola scriptura for authority, just like in the early church, they appealed to the apostles for authority because in the Protestant conception, apostles are replaced by scripture. So I think that's clear enough, um, or that's enough said. Uh, basically, we just talked about the issue. Uh, three, three main streams of Christianity, Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant, talked about um, how they understand authority today. And we talked about how spiritual gifts are understood in a, in a way that challenges authority and that therefore they need to not be around. They need to have ceased, right? That's a Protestant, one Protestant position. And then another Protestant position, how they actually don't challenge authority and it's okay for them to be around. And that that is in a position that's analogous to how they were around in the first century with the apostles. They can then be around today with the scriptures and there's not an authority problem between those operating the gifts and the apostles back then, or those operating the gifts and the scriptures today. Um, of course, the other side of the coin would be, no, there is definitely an authority problem and they need to have ceased. And you can build a case for cessation, which I tried to show from scriptures. And I also tried to show the case how they could be around and not challenge authority from scripture. Um, <clears throat> I'm not here to endorse any particular position. Uh, but you should know my bias, 
I, I, I don't I don't think that these things have ceased. Uh, that's my bias. I think that they're around, but I think that, like all Protestants, I maintain for authority a doctrine of sola scriptura. Uh, and I lean heavily in the orthodox position that it's really not so much the sola scriptura, it's the tradition of the church in interpreting the sola scriptura, which is more of more in the direction of orthodoxy, orthodox Christianity, the Eastern churches. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for our lives. And Lord, we want to understand your scriptures truly. We want to have good, correct, and accurate understandings of authority, um, where we go for authority in a spiritual sense, doctrinal authority, Lord. And uh, as Protestants, we, we want to maintain the doctrine of sola scriptura. And Lord, we, uh, we just ask that uh, in our use and operation of spiritual gifts, we would not violate that doctrine, and we would um, just honor and respect those who who are placed as shepherds and and pastors over us and our churches and our denominations who have who have a tradition of interpreting scripture uh in a way that is um uh systematic and consistent and and uh has helped people throughout the years so lord we just come to you and we ask for you to work in your church today to pour out your spirit on our church today and, and let the gifts be used let every believer maximize the potential that you have put in them and, and be what they need to be in the church for diversity, for unity, and in love. We love you, Father God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining.